Well, good morning, church. How you doing today? Man, that was a good, hearty like response for such a soggy day out there, man. Thanks for making it through the rain and the cold and join us here. Uh, for those of you online, thanks for joining us there. We know we got some deer hunters watching us from the stand right now. This is awesome. So, hey, at least you're still in church. So that's great. And good luck. Um, share some of the goods that you get. Uh, Man, it, it is good to sing that song, right? Isn't God good to us? And anybody, any amen? Yeah, yeah. So, got to tell you a little story. Um, several years back, about a decade ago, uh, I was at work. It was a typical day, and my phone was buzzing. I noticed it was my wife, and like any smart husband, I answered. You know, because it's what you do. And so I answered. I'm like, "Hey, beautiful." my normal, cheerful self, and immediately I knew, oh, she's not matching that vibe, right? And I knew, like right away, I knew I'm in trouble. You know how I knew I was in trouble? Because she said, you are in so much trouble. That's a pretty good indication. So for all of you guys in the room who've not been married long, when you hear those words from your wife, even those you dudes who are dating, you hear those words from your sweetie, you know, like that's the moment where you do the mental checklist, like go through everything you've said, that you haven't said, that you should have said, that you said, that you should not have said, that you've done, not done, all that, and like for like the last millennia, right? And so I'm doing like the brain exercise, I'm trying to figure out, and I'm coming up empty, but I was pretty confident that she was going to let me know real soon why I was in trouble. And she did. She said, our son is arguing with his cousin, and it's embarrassing, and it's all your fault. Got no clue at this point. Arguing about what? About the secret. Secret. Oh, and then I made the bigger mistake of the victorious laugh, right? Like laughing because I knew like, oh, the secret. That's awesome. No, it's not awesome. So back up in the story a little bit to give some context. Just a, a few weeks before that, I'd been doing some work in the crawl space of our home, and I was coming up from the crawl space through the trap door in the closet in the hallway. And my son, who was three at the time, saw me come out of that trap door and said, Dad, what's that? I said, well, that's just a trap door to the crawl space. It's kind of dangerous down there. Stay out. It's really not that cool, not that fun. Okay. Well, a few days later, he saw me emerge from that again as I was finishing just the like home maintenance project I was working on. And so the second time I came out, he's looking again. He's like, Dad, what's down there? Can I go? And this time I thought, I got to have some fun. My boy's three. I'm his dad. Let's enjoy us. I said, well, buddy, that's actually a secret passageway. To where? To the bat cave. Nuh-uh. Yeah. So said, when you go to bed at night, when you're asleep, what do you think Dad does? I don't know. I go out and I help the good guys get the bad guys. I said, listen, there is a league of men, Batman. In every major city, there's at least one Batman to help the police in that city. I looked at him. I said, son, I'm Batman. His eyes got big. He was ecstatic. And, uh, and he started begging to go down there. I'm like, he can't take you down there. I said, but shh, 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 we got to keep the secret because if anybody knows, it jeopardizes our safety. Okay, dad, okay. So a few weeks later, his cousin from a very small town was visiting, and Ethan just knew, like, well, there's no way there's a Batman in that town, and, uh, you know, and his family, so it's safe. So he's sharing the story, and, and so when I got home, I had to clean it up. I get home that day, I take the boys aside, and I convince my nephew that I'm Batman, <laughs> right? And shh, not even mom knows. She'd worry too much, right? So then I actually have to set things straight. I tell Ethan, hey, buddy, um, 
I'm just plain old dad. As much as I would love to be Batman, I'm not. You know, just like you, you, you want to pretend that you're a superhero sometimes. You, you know, decide that you want to be the, the, the hero. You're Superman, you're Batman, you're whoever. Sometimes, grown-ups, we still do that too, but I'm just normal dad. And then I asked him to forgive me for lying. And he's like, Dad, I love you. I forgive you. He gives me a big hug, whispers in my ear, I'll keep your secret, Batman, <laughs> which is awesome. So still to this day, he thinks I'm Batman. That's great. 13 and dad's a hero. No, I, I said it all straight. But what I've learned is that all of us have some desire in us to be the hero. Well, we had the desire to be a rescuer, to be a helper, to varying degrees. Maybe for you, it's not dressing like a bat and going around at night and catching bad guys. But maybe it was just that you wanted to score the winning point for your team. Or maybe it was that you wanted to find that flaw to, to fix those numbers, to save your company from financial ruin or, or you know, fix the problems. Maybe it's that you've wanted to rescue a person in distress. We've all wanted to be the hero and to different degrees in different ways. But usually when we think of being the hero, that means, like, for us, it's, it's the heroic acts. We, we think of strength and ability, you know, physical strength, intellectual aptitude, courageous valor. But what if the most heroic thing we can do, what if the greatest way we can help other people is not born out of strength and success, what if it is born of adversity? And weakness. Isn't that the story of Jesus? I mean, for sure, Scripture tells us that Jesus is mighty. He is strong. He is powerful. He is a warrior. He's a defender. He's a conqueror. He is so much more than all that. But when the Son of God enters into humanity, what we're about to celebrate in the next holiday season, when he enters in, he, he enters in with meekness and lowliness. When Jesus ascends to the cross, he ascends in meekness and lowliness. He fulfills the prophecy of Isaiah 53. He was despised and rejected, a man of sorrows acquainted with deepest grief. We turned our backs on him and looked the other way. He was despised and we didn't even care. Yet it was our weaknesses he carried. It was our sorrows that weighed on him. And we thought his troubles were a punishment from God, a punishment for his own sins. But he was pierced for our rebellion, crushed for our sins. He was beaten so we could be whole. He was whipped so we could be healed. All of us, like sheep, have strayed away. We have left God's paths to follow our own. Yet the Lord laid on him the sins of us all. He was oppressed and treated Harshly. Now, it's the story of Jesus on the cross. Well, we know the story doesn't end there. Just a few days later, for sure, he rose from the grave. He rose with might and power, with resurrection power unfathomable to us. He, he rose in this power, and, and we have access to that power. He gives that power to us. That same power that raised him from the grave is accessible to us. And without that power, we are powerless to triumph over sin and the grave. Friend, if you're newer to us and you've never grasped hold of that resurrection power in your life, if you've never leaned on Jesus for the hope and the healing that he wants to give you, you need to. You will never find 
the hope that you're searching for, to overcome the despair in your life until you lean on Jesus. You'll never find the healing you need. You'll never find the power you need until you lean on Jesus. And so if you've not leaned on that power, if you've never surrendered to Jesus, acknowledging that he is both Savior and Lord, then today, today is the day for you to do that. I want to invite you after the service to join us right out here. So you exit service, go to the right. There's a next step area. Join us there. We would love to talk with you about what that means. Because true life doesn't really begin until we've found our life in Jesus. But I want us to notice that even... In the resurrection, Jesus still has the scars from the cross. That even in resurrected form, he still has the scars from his wounds. It's Thomas in the upper room, right? Doubting Thomas who said, I'm not going to believe until I get to see the scars in his hands, his side, his feet. Jesus still bears the scars. So what that means is that Jesus is our wounded healer. But by his wounds, we are healed. And the incredible thing about God is that he invites us to join him in this process of bringing healing and bringing hope to others. To join us, or to join him as wounded healers. He is our wounded healer, and he invites us to join him in that. Now, point of clarification, as much as some of us might want to be the hero, we're not. There is one hero. There's only one hero. There's always a hero. His name is Jesus alone. He's the only true hero. But he invites us to partner with him in his heroic work of bringing hope and bringing healing to other people. And the way we do that is with compassion. Compassion is this word derived from the, uh, from the Latin that literally means to suffer with another. It's not just, I feel bad for you or my heart kind of leans out to you. It means I'm going to enter into your suffering with you. And, and that's the pathway of healing. That's what God invites us to do, is to enter into the suffering of another. This is what the Apostle Paul was getting at when he wrote to the Jesus followers in the city of Corinth. He said, all praise to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. God is our merciful Father and the source of all comfort. He comforts us in all our troubles, and here's why. He comforts us in all our troubles so that we can bring comfort to others. When they are troubled, we will be able to give them the same comfort God has given us. The same comfort we receive from God, we become a conduit for that comfort. The hope that we get from God, we are a conduit, a channel of comfort. We become hope traffickers. We become healers because God is doing his healing work through us. As we receive comfort from him, we give that to other people dealing with some of the same things. Now, this does not say at all that God is going to shelter us from pain and shelter us from harm and shelter us from woundedness. It doesn't say that he will spare us from those things. No, it says that in those things he will bring comfort, he will bring hope, he'll bring healing. So this world will bring us many troubles, but those troubles are not the end of our story. The way that God redeems our pain is not only by bringing us comfort in that pain, but then by allowing us to help bring comfort and healing to others by using our story of redemption. Henry Nouwen was a great spiritual leader, a kingdom leader. He was a Bible scholar, a prolific author. He wrote the book, The Wounded Healer, specifically about Jesus. And Nouwen reminds us that we are all wounded people. 
that none of us will escape life without wounds. He says, so the question then becomes not, how can we hide our wounds to prevent shame and to prevent embarrassment? But rather, how can we put our woundedness in service to others? Think on that for a moment. How can I put my woundedness in service to you? How can you put your woundedness in service to another? That's the picture of Jesus. That's where the power of God is on display. It's through our woundedness. Later in the same letter to the church at Corinth, Paul shared how God had allowed him, even given him a thorn in the flesh, he called it. Scholars for centuries have pondered on what that thorn is, and there's really, we're not sure. We just don't know. Uh, There's a lot of speculation, we're not sure, but whatever it was, it was given to keep Paul humble so that he would have to depend on God's power, not his own. And and Paul says to the church, he says, three different times I begged the Lord to take it away. Listen, God gives me a thorn in the flesh. I'm praying more than three times, I'm just saying But for Paul, more spiritual. So Paul prays three different times, I begged the Lord to take it away. And each time God said, my grace is all you need. For my power works best in weakness. So now I am glad to boast about my weaknesses, Paul says, so that the power of Christ can work through me. That's why I take pleasure in my weaknesses and in the insults, the hardships, the persecutions, and all the troubles that I suffer for Jesus' sake. For when I am weak, that's actually when I'm strongest. Paul says it's through my weaknesses that God is on display. God's power to heal and comfort and overcome is best displayed in my weakness. It's like fireworks in the summertime. They're shown at night because they are best displayed against a dark sky. God's power is most brilliantly displayed against our weaknesses. And so it's through our weakness that God does his greatest work. The word that Paul uses here for power, the, the Greek word for power is dynamos. It's where we get the word dynamite and dynamic. It's this moving, explosive power of God unleashed in us. In our weakness, God's explosive grace is demonstrated. What a cool picture Paul gives us there. This is why God chose to work through the people of Israel. See, that's how God has always demonstrated his power. It's how he's always displayed. He, he chose the people of Israel not because they were the biggest, fastest, toughest, strongest. No, they were the weaklings, the wimps. They were, they were the little nation on the block. They were the ones who got bullied. They were the ones who became captives of another nation. They became slaves. And God puts his power on display through the slaves. And God parts the waters of the Red Sea. God parts the waters of the Jordan River. God brings food to them in the desert. God leads them in. God takes this fledgling people, a lot of people, but they're kind of this fledgling army, takes them in to to take the land he's giving them. And his power is what's on display. And whenever that army grows and those people become stronger and they think they're capable of doing it, whenever they have to go into battle, God says, now shrink that army down so you know that it's only by my power that you're going to win this thing, not on your own. And that's what God does when we read through the whole of the Old Testament again and again and again. It's his power on display through the most unlikely people in the most unlikely places in the most unlikely ways. And that's how we see God's incredible and comprehensible power on display. So here's what this means for us. It means if we are willing to surrender our weaknesses, 
If we are willing to uncover our insufficiencies, our insecurities, and by the way, I got plenty of both of those. (laughs) If we're willing to uncover our failures, our flaws, our mistakes, our pain, our woundedness, then God's power can be on display right there through it. It's common to hear people compliment another person by saying something like, oh, they're so genuine, so authentic, that they're so real, right? Like they're the real deal. And what we appreciate is we we know like there's no facade, there's no pretense with that person. They are who they say they are. It's rather uncommon for us to hear somebody say, man, that person is so perfect, I, I feel so close. I, I know I can hang out with that person because they don't have any flaws at all. Do you know why the flawed people are so endearing and the, the perfect people are so annoying? It's true. Like, you know, like you're afraid because you might be sitting next to them. But the perfect people are annoying because nobody's like that. Like, that's not true. There's not a perfect We all have stuff. We've all failed. We all have problems. We all have woundedness. It's, it's way easier to identify with somebody's woundedness and failures than it is with their trophies. Because we all have woundedness and failures of our own. We might not all have the trophies on the shelf. When different organizations do, uh, do their research and they, they're asking people what they're looking for in a church. Again and again and again, these surveys tell us that people are not looking for a church filled with the superhuman people who have it all together. Because they know that's just, that's the hypocrites. It's people wearing the mask, playing a part, but behind the mask is a different person because everybody's got their issues. Everybody's got the skeleton with stuff in the closet. So what people are looking for that the research tells us again and again and again that people desire to be with real people who have real issues, who've experienced real suffering and real pain and real hardship, and they have a real hope because they've experienced real healing. It's what the world's crying out for. That's part of why we come every week. We're looking for that. That's what we're crying out for because that's the realness of life is that there is this messiness to life. There's this brokenness to life, and we want to know there's hope and there's healing beyond that, and so we search for that, and that means that our weaknesses, our afflictions, our sufferings, our pain can actually be a place where God can demonstrate his power at work through us, how he heals, how he provides, how he cares, how he comforts. God can use our weaknesses and our pain as a pipeline for his love, his grace, his mercy, his hope, his healing. And that's what he desires to do. But what that means is that some, some of the greatest pain, or some of the greatest joys, I think we had said, some of the greatest joys and the blessings are sometimes buried beneath some of the greatest pain. Some of the greatest joy and some of the greatest blessing we can experience in life is sometimes hidden underneath the greatest pain. That those parts of our lives that we don't want to deal with as much. But it's fine totally honest with you. I'll tell you, man, I still kind of want to have all the gadgets and the abilities and the nightlife of Batman. I say Batman, not Bruce Wayne, not his nightlife, but Batman's nightlife, right? If you know the story, distinguish between those two. Like, I, I would love to be that kind of superhero character. But what I've discovered is I'm not. Like, I do way better without the mask. I do way better without the facade. I do way better Peeling back the mask, being real, and allowing God to be on display. And what I find through that is that's when God's great power shows up. So being a wounded healer, 
It's about all I got to give you. And, and while I wish I could do a lot more, what I found is with God's grace, that's all I need. He is more than sufficient for me and for you. And so we don't have to mask our wounds. We don't have to hide our failures. We just got to surrender them to God. Let him redeem them. And his power will be on display. His goodness will shine through. What I've realized is that when I can peel back the mask and I can put my weakness, my, my woundedness on display, God somehow redeems that and uses it. It was several years ago in between Lydia and Ethan that my wife and I experienced a miscarriage. Um, already had a name picked out, already dreaming the dreams. It was tough. As a guy, I wasn't sure if I had the freedom to mourn and grieve. I wasn't sure how to help my wife as she was mourning and grieving. It, we, it rocked our world. It was a dark, painful time for us. And we had a lot of people pouring love out to us, but the ones who ministered most deeply to us, ones with the deepest sympathy, who offered the most healing and the most help, were the ones who had navigated that same journey before. And what we have found in the years since then is that while it's not a ministry we would prefer to have, it's one that we do have. And whenever we encounter people who are wrestling with that same thing, God uses us to help bring hope and to help bring healing and just to bring compassion to suffer with another. A few years back when I went public with my pornography addiction, those of you who are newer to our church and you've not heard my story, I'm, I'm an addict in recovery. There's no, really no such thing as a former addict. <laughs> You're just an addict who's still in recovery with varying lengths of sobriety. Uh, by God's grace, I've been sober for quite a while now. Um, but when I went public with that, resigned my ministry, it was a dark, painful season of life. It, it rocked my family. It, it rocked our church. It rocked the Christian community in the town where we live. It was embarrassing. It was shameful. I regret it. There's remorse even just bringing it up now. It's everything in me not to just break down in a puddle up here. I mean, it was just ugly. And what we found was there were a lot of people who rallied around us, rallied in ways that we did not anticipate, rallied in ways that I had always feared they would not, and our church surrounded us and loved on us. And there was a lot of grace shown to us. But the group of men who offered the most hope and the most healing were the guys who invited me into their recovery group, and they pointed me in the direction of healing that they had discovered before. It's really the beautiful thing about a 12-step program. And by the way, I'm just going to show my cards here. I prefer Christian 12-step programs because anytime we talk about a higher power, let me just tell you, his name's Jesus. <laughs> like that is the higher power. There is no other higher power. Um, and so we put our hope in Jesus. But what I love about 12-step programs, you name the addiction, it's, you know, whether it's food or it's porn or it's alcohol or it's opiates or whatever it is, what it, you name the addiction. The 12th step is that those who have found the healing would pay it forward and invite others into the process and help bring healing to them to just simply enter in with compassion, enter into the suffering, and show them the way. It's really a beautiful picture. It's a ministry that my wife <clears throat> does not appreciate that I have thrust on us, but um, whenever we find that another couple is on the front side of addiction or infidelity, my wife makes herself available 
to the other wife because she just wants the other guy to know that healing is possible, that recovery can work, that forgiveness is the best path forward, and that hope is there. She just, she says, just keep hope alive. Just cling to hope. You will get through. Better days are possible. They are coming. You know, every time I muster the courage to share any part of my story, what I find is that I still have to battle all the demons of regret and remorse and insecurity and all that. But I also find that there are people who come out of the woodwork to say, hey, I need to talk because I think you get it. It's not a ministry I wish I had, but it's the one that I do have. And so I'll leverage it for God and I'll celebrate my weakness like Paul celebrates his. It's the same kind of thing that why I love our grief share ministry here. That those who've been through the loss of a loved one are able to speak into the lives of those who are, for whom the, the loss is still so fresh and the wound is so open and they're still mourning that loss. And they can speak in and offer hope and comfort in ways that many others can't. It's when I am counseling couples and their couple is dealing with the relational issues, it's one of the best things we can do is connect them to another couple who's navigated those same issues before and is coming on the other side, but stronger. It's the story of my buddy Mike who was born without the lower part of his leg. And so he's made it part of his just routine for years that he shows up at the children's hospital and the kids who are dealing with um, birth defects and, um, you know, just all kinds of disabilities and stuff, he just speaks hope and courage into their life. He, he makes a point to show up to the hospital, and anybody who, you know, is a recent amputee, he meets with them, lets them know of his journey, and speaks hope and grace and love and mercy into their life. It, it's the same story of any cancer survivor who ministers hope to those recently diagnosed or those who are dealing with divorce or who have dealt with divorce, bringing some hope and some care, some healing to those who feel like their relational world is collapsing, whether it's with a spouse or with their parents. The abuse victims who offer care and hope to those who are still in the throes of abuse. Friend, what, what we find out is that whenever we show our scars, we're actually letting those who still have the wounds that are open, we let them know that those wounds can heal. You, you may still have the scar, but it it doesn't, the wound doesn't have to stay open. The wound can heal. You'll, you'll bear the scars. You, you'll, it'll be evident. But there is hope. There's hope for healing. It's one of the, the hidden blessings in all of this. You know, that, that we tend to find the most healing when we surrender those places to God and allow him to use our story to bring healing to other people. That's where the redemption happens. It's when God takes all the manure pile of, of the hurt and the mistakes and all that mess and, and he begins to grow beautiful flowers from it. Like that's where it's found. It's when we surrender it to God, allow him to do the work that he so well does. Friend, that means the place of your deepest woundedness, the place of your greatest pain, the place of your biggest mistake, the stuff that you want to keep hidden, the stuff you want to keep secret, the, the parts of your life you don't want to go back to could very well be the place where God desires to do his most dynamite work of grace in your life. You've got to surrender it to him. You've got to allow him the opportunity. And when people see that we've been through it, they, they find hope. You know, it was, um, it was years ago, I think it was probably the same year that Ethan 
uh, thought I was Batman, um, that he was playing with the buddy, fell back, hit his head, gashed his head open, lots of blood. I'll spare you all the gory details. We rushed him into a prompt care facility, and we're waiting there, and, and I was pretty confident the little boy would need stitches. And so I took him into the bathroom to help clean him up a little bit, and he's terrified of getting the stitches. Like, he's bent up, his head's cut, and he's bleeding. And then he's like, they're going to put a needle in my head, you know? And so I start walking through all the times I've had stitches in my eye, above the other eye, on the cheek, you know, on the lip, on the hand, on this hand, back on that hand, the knee, the knee, the knee, the knee, the knee. You're like, our preacher's accident prone. Yeah, it's been 20 years since I've need. Well, it's been 20 years since I've got stitches. Need is a different story, but you know. Anyway, so we managed. So Ethan, though, he like kind of gets this place where he's like, okay, I can heal from this. Like it's okay. And it's a fact. It was like, oh, I think this is gonna be like a rite of passage into manhood. You know, he's three. His voice was squeaky. Like I'm gonna survive. You know. And so then we sit in there, and the doc comes in. The doc takes one look. He's like, oh yeah, we'll get the glue. I'm like, glue. I got. I got Elmer's at home, man. We could have like super glued this boy's head for a whole lot cheaper. And then he's all disappointed because he didn't get the stitches. He's like, they're not going to give me stitches, right? It's crazy how that all works. But what he found was hearing about somebody else's scars knew that he was going to be okay even to bear some scars of his own. Like that's how this thing works. It's what God invites us into is to be a wounded healer. It's just one of the reasons I so appreciate small groups and I'm, I'm a fan of groups and I, I encourage you to be in a group. If you're not in a group, stop by the next step area after the service and we'll help you connect to a group because it's in groups that we begin to do life with each other and we begin to, to find a place of belonging as we get known and we were appreciated. We share a little bit more of our story and we keep sharing a little bit and all it takes is one person to one day just crack the door of the closet open and say, Hi, here's some dark part of my life. And usually, not every time, but usually somebody else in the room says, hey, me too. And mine looks a little different, but I, I got that too. I, I get it. And, and then also the door opens more and, and we find this place of sharing. And what we find is in groups, we, we find the truth of Galatians 6 too, that we can share each other's burdens and in that way we are obeying the law of Christ. That, that we share in this thing together. It, and it, you know, what happens in rows on Sunday mornings is good. We encourage you to be here. But this isn't the end of the story. If this is all you do, you're missing like more than half of what church is. Church is doing life with one another. It's being in those groups. It's being in those connections. It's being in those relationships. Because here's the beautiful thing about the group. Like a group provides the place of acceptance, but with this view to redemption. Where we say, this is, this is life, but, but life can move forward. God can redeem us from where we are. And so we give God place to do that. You've probably heard it said that hurt people will hurt people and wounded people will wound people and bullied people will bully people and abused people will abuse people. And all the stats tell us that's true. Sad truth. But there is a holy disruption to that. Because when the wounded person is offered healing, then their story is no longer defined by the wound but by the healing. And healed people bring healing to others. And when the bullied person is no longer bullied, but they're defended, like their story changes from being the bullied one to being the defended one, and defended people bring defense to other people. When the neglected person, the abused person is offered care and love and hope, then their story is no longer just defined by abuse, but by that care, that love, that hope, and hoped for and hope given and, and, and loved people and cared for people bring care to others. Like you see how that goes, and that's what God invites us into, is to be part of bringing that hope and that holy disruption begins when we get bold enough and courageous enough to share our story. So, friend, I just want to encourage you to share your story of hope. Everybody has a wound, and I pray most of us have wounds that God has brought us through. He's healed, and if not, 
You need to connect with somebody who can help you find the healing there. So I, I just want to encourage you. Would you share your story of hope with, with us here on church? Like, we're not going to parade your pain in front of everybody. It's your story to tell. We're going to guard that for you. And, and, and we're not going to put it up on the platform. But, but I will say, man, if, if God's done something redemptive in your life that deserves to be celebrated, we just want to celebrate with you. But I'd also ask you this. Would you consider being a wounded healer for another? Would you consider allowing your story to be used to bring hope to somebody else? See, what that looks like is that when... When we're working with somebody else, we find that they've got this challenge in life, but you've navigated it already. Like, we'll, we'll reach out to you. It's your story to tell. We're not going to tell it for you, but we'll reach out to you and say, hey, would you be willing to connect with these people and allow us to make this connection so that they can find some hope and some healing through what God has done in your life? So, friend, if you're willing to be a wounded healer, and I don't know why any of us would say no to that, I'm going to encourage you to go to our website. And on the front page of our website, oklahomacc.org, there's a button right there that says share your story. Just click that button, share your story. You might think, oh man, there's a lot to type out. I'm not even sure what to say. Listen, it doesn't have to be refined. It's going to go to like one or two of our staff members. We're going to take a look and they'll just put us in contact with you. But would you be willing to share your story? Would you be willing to be a hope bringer for somebody else? You know, if the pain is still there, the affliction is still there, all that is still like open for you. Listen, you don't have to wait for all that to go away to find healing. Actually, healing begins not when the wound heals up. Healing begins when we turn to God and allow him to begin ministering to our wounds. And for those of you who are wrestling through things, I, I, don't, know what, I don't know what's underneath the mask. You know, we've been doing this series for, for a few weeks now, taking off the mask. I don't, I don't know what's underneath your mask. I don't know what pain is there. I don't know what hurt is there. I don't know what mistakes are there in your past. I don't know what might still be there in the present. I do know this, that if you're dealing with something, you don't have to deal alone. I just want to make a quick plea. If you're wrestling with depression, don't wrestle alone. There is absolutely no shame and there is only love and hope when you reach out to us. But don't try and fight that battle alone. And for I don't know what you might be dealing with, but I do know this. I know that there is hope, so don't give up. And I know that God wants to bring healing to you. Like it's a story of the cross is that Jesus took the cross and he took all of our shame and all of our pain and all of the ugliness. And his friend Peter said it this way. It took all those wounds so that by his wounds, you can be healed. You can be healed. So friend, if, if you don't know the healing power of Jesus in your life, will you turn to him? Will you allow him to speak hope and healing? Will you allow him to be your wounded healer? And would you consider allowing him to redeem those dark areas of your past, of your story? Would you consider allowing Jesus to use you as a wounded healer? That your woundedness could be a pathway of hope for somebody else. Let's pray. God, this world is so broken and so messy. And every single one of us, we've experienced the pain, we've experienced 
failures. We've experienced the wounds from others and from ourselves. God, we are well acquainted with pain. And so we turn to you, we cry out to you because you are the healer, because you are a God who gets it. You're the God who understands. You're the God. You're the Savior who took a whip and a thorny crown and nakedness and shame and abuse and insults and a cross. And you offer to exchange all that for us for a life of hope and healing. You're a father who saw all the pain of your son, who felt the disconnect, who knows of all the ugliness of this world. You're the, you are God, the father who looks down and you identify with the pain of your children and you weep for us because you just want to delight over us. And so we surrender it all to you. And we thank you. We thank you that you're the God who gets it and that you're the God of hope and you're the God of healing and you're the God of mercy. And so we claim your resurrection power. We claim it for ourselves today. And we ask that by your grace, we would partner with you to be wounded healers, that we would allow you to redeem our stories, to take all the manure pile of the pain and the muck in our lives and bring forth the most beautiful flowers ever for your glory and for the comfort of others. God, may we experience your comfort and may we bring it to a world in desperate need of it. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.